terrorists, they're banditos, they're uh, burglars, they're robbers, they're, they're doing whatever they can to subterfuge the Romans. And, um, and so they have this expectation, possibly uh, this expectancy, that Jesus is going to do the thing during uh, this week, this week of Passover, actually. And so I think that Sunday, Palm Sunday, is for the zealots. I think that Monday is for the Essenes. Monday is for the Essenes because, well, uh, you know, Jesus goes up, the myth, the legend, the rumor is that Jesus goes up to Golgotha, where he's going to be crucified, or maybe he went up to where uh, the, the, the tomb is, where he was going to be resurrected. And uh, he goes and gives this really great sermon. And uh, here, here's part of it, you know, happier people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or happier people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Or happier people who have pure hearts because they will see God. And I'm sure that he gives all these points and expands on each one of them. And it's like a really, really great sermon. Who are the Essenes? Well, um, Josephus writes, he's a famous historian. He writes that uh, they're, they believe in communality, their commitment to strict observance of the Sabbath. Uh, he further adds that the Essenes ritually immersed themselves in water every morning, ate together after prayer, devoted themselves to charity and benevolence, forbade the expression of anger, studied the books of the elders, preserved secrets, and were very mindful of the names of the angels kept in their sacred writings. Uh, they were also celibate, so that's why there's no Essenes around today. So uh, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, remember, is uh, about bliss, uh, about eternal bliss. Uh, it's really about contentment, and so that's uh, so. It's a famous uh, uh, sermon. The Essenes were totally wrapped up into it, and they think through the Beatitudes they're going to achieve social justice. But the rest of the week happens to fall for the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and their worlds were rocked on Tuesday and Wednesday. First, with Jesus coming in on Tuesday, overturning the tables of those who would look to fleece the flock by charging exorbitant prices for sacrifices or exorbitant exchange rates for money so that they could purchase a sacrifice. And on Wednesday, their world was rocked again and surprised when Judas, who either identifies or sympathizes greatly with the zealots, gives them Jesus. He tells them, for you know this handful of silver, I'll give you Jesus. And he does this in hopes that they won't kill Jesus or arrest Jesus. He's hoping that Jesus will rise up and do the thing and overthrow the oppressors. That Jesus will become the Messiah that they've all been looking for and hoping for, who literally comes to save them from the oppressors, not realizing that the oppressors were actually the themselves, ourselves. So put a pin in that. Think about that. Who are these Sadducees and Pharisees? The Sadducees are the guys who run the temple, so they're all about their religious roles, their social and their political stature, um, and they maintain the temple. The Pharisees, and Josephus might have been a Pharisee himself, believed both their, uh, in the uh, meticulous adherence of their interpretation of the Torah. And uh, so Pharisaic beliefs are the foundation of modern Judaism. So what does all that have to do with it being one week after the resurrection? 
putting on our spiritual thinking caps and cloaked in our spiritual imaginations, which by the way, anytime I preach, you should come wearing that stuff. We see the disciples and the main 12 among them scattering and running in the late hours of Thursday night and the wee hours of Friday morning, thus becoming a band on the run. And though later after the resurrection, the Bible tells us that they come together, it seems like they go into hiding or laying low together. To me, they seem to wander aimlessly during this time. Their sense of purpose is gone, their sense of identity, their sense of belief, their sense of what they know, their, their, their sense of what they've become, their sense of expectation is gone. Expectation. Expectation means a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. For example, I have come to accept that Stuart's sermons are weird. <laughs> a belief that someone should achieve, achieve something. Or how about this for expectancy? The state of thinking or hoping that something, especially something pleasant, will happen or be the case. They waited with an air of expectancy that Stuart's sermon would not be weird. I've preached on this before. And I will say this, that I think a miracle happened the first time that I preached on it. I think there might have been like maybe 400 people that Sunday. It was at Christmas time. A lot of people come at Christmas. And uh, 399 could not understand the word that I said. But there was one person, and this is the miracle, the one person who understood, who accepted what it is that I was saying was Michael Scott. See, it's easy at Christmas time to go into the season with expectancy. It's easy to see that everything is possible with baby Jesus. It's not so easy during the resurrection to go into Easter with a sense of expectancy. That's a lot harder. The wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, the wounds in the side of his body. It's a bloody mess. characters of Holy Week, including the disciples, came to this week with a lot of expectations. The Essenes expected a great sermon about social justice. The Sadducees and the Pharisees expect that there will be a strict adherence to the rules, the regulations, the traditions, and that there will be lots of money to be made. Then there's us. We come with zeal, great energy and enthusiasm. For some great preaching, even if it is about social justice, and hope that the traditions, the rules, the regulations, they'll all be followed, and a big offering will be made. That's what we expect of Holy Week. Out of all the players in the story of Holy Week, it is possible to think that the zealots, 
were the only ones who approached this time out of expectancy. At least they did on Sunday. They were in a state of hoping that finally the thing was going to happen. But, when the, the, but then the case can be made that they expected at some point in time Jesus would do the thing and set them free from those who oppressed them and not what was oppressing them. So I think they started off the week with expectancy, but they end the week, you know, standing in the courtyard in front of Pontius Pilate when Jesus Christ and Jesus Barabbas are standing there. They expected something different from Jesus Christ, so they wanted Jesus Barabbas back. You gotta have, you know, your best zealot, your best bandito out on the road. Expectation expects things. It expects a certain outcome or that the outcome will be derived in a certain way. Expectancy does not expect things. Expectancy hopes. It has faith that goodwill will come but releases the expectation of what or how it will come about. Expectations lead to disappointment and frustration and delusion. Expectancy leads to faith, joy, and thankfulness. Expectation says, God, I expect that you will do X. It also says, God, I expect you to do X in a certain way, my way. Expectancy says, Lord, I don't know how or what you will do, but I know you will do something, and I know it will be good. Expectation. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Expectancy. I give my life to you, God of creation, the one who redeems me, us, the power that sustains us today and every day. We see in John 20, verse 29, the yin and the yang, the balance of expectation and expectancy. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Thomas expects to see, has to see, to believe that it is Jesus Christ. To believe that it is Jesus Christ. As we, are we Thomas's twin? We have to see it to believe it. Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. How many of us approach Jesus, the Redeemer, God, the Creator, and the Holy Spirit, the Sustainer, like this, with an air of expectancy, faith, and hope? I've come to understand that what we desire and what we look forward to aren't always what we get. Sometimes we set the bar too high and we are disappointed. Sometimes we set the bar too low and accept second best. How do we find that happy medium? How do we get to the place where we can be disappointed in the past, yet still have hope for the future? What will it take for us to realize that we are precious to God and we expect more from life? Short answer, take all of your expectations of what could be, should be, or will be, and set them at the foot of the cross. Then pick up the spirit of expectancy and cover our minds and our hearts with that. The long answer, when we set aside our preconceived ideas of what could have been, or what should have been, or what will be in the future, we are creating space for the Lord to work in our lives. When we commit to develop the spirit of expectancy, then we are training our minds and hearts to expect God to work his will in our lives. 
when we are consciously seeking God's will and expecting him to move according to his plan of our lives, that we begin to see the hand of God directly working. We become aware of all the ways he is leading and directing. We recognize that it is God's working on our behalf that causes the ebbs and flows in our lives. We are no longer stressing out about what is happening right now or the injustices in our past or the worry about our future. Rather, we are exchanging the hurts and disappointments with the assurance that we can expect God's will for our lives. We can trust him. And we can become active participants along with God in our lives, not creators watching out on our own, not helpless victims waiting for what happens next. The disciples did not come to realize all of this in one fell swoop. Now, in all the time that they spent with Jesus leading up to that moment to where they became a band on the run, not in the moment that they seen the tomb empty, See him speak to him, uh, see him speak to them on the road to Emmaus, and most certainly not in that moment when Thomas sticks his fingers in the wounds of Jesus that he got while hanging on the cross. In the 50 days from the resurrection to Pentecost, you know, Jesus' ascension into heaven, and all the different times that Jesus spent with him, the disciples assessing their experiences with him, it is in that time that they let go of their expectations really began to believe. Not only in Jesus, but in themselves and being able to believe in Jesus. And it's in this transformation that they really become a band on the run and go forth to spread the gospel throughout the world. God always does something good. He is continually working in and through our lives. We can, if we allow ourselves to eagerly wait with expectancy for what he will do but we cannot place self-centered expectations on him. He is God, and we are not. And I am God. We do this thing in this service once.